Ordination time is always a great time, isn't it? Amen. Need people assisting with the work of the church. Many people continue to work within the church, and the more that we have, the better we can spread things around to help finish the work. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to Mark. Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 18. I'll be reading from the uh, New King James Version. And then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to tell us that if a man's, brother's, a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife, and dying, he left no offspring, and the second took her, and he died, nor leave, did he leave any offspring, and the third likewise. And so the seven all had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also dies. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife shall she be? For all seven has had her as his wife. And Jesus answered and said to them, you are, not therefore mis- are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God. For when they all raise from the dead, they are neither married nor given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, when they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the beginning, in the burning bush, bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and also as his pastor continues to bring us his work. This morning, we are not studying the resurrection, but we're studying Jesus, the God of the living, the one who was dead, but is now alive, who knows the scriptures and the power of God. Look at our passage again here. Look at verse 18. It says, talks about the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. Well, they denied the resurrection, uh, that there's any, any life after death. They said, this is it, what life we have now, when it's over, it's over. Not only did they deny the resurrection, they denied angels, the existence of angels, which is interesting as we go through the passage. So here they are asking about the resurrection. Now they didn't take the Bible literally. That's why they could deny that there was a resurrection. They thought resurrection is just some symbolic talk. There's no real raising up from the dead. They also denied other things in the Bible. As many people do today. 
You know, there are a lot of people who say the Bible is just a nice storybook or it's a nice book of man's ideas about how to be a good person and that's about as good as it is. Now, Jesus did not believe that way, did he? He took the scriptures seriously. Other people could say there's no Garden of Eden and no flood and no coming Messiah and no miracles, no life after death and no heaven or no hell. And that's the way they taught, these Sadducees. But Jesus believed in all these things. He believed the scriptures. He took them seriously. In fact, he depended on the scriptures. He overcame sin by the Scriptures. And what is sin? Well, remember, it's not bestly, best translated the transgression of the law or the breaking of the Ten Commandments. Sin is better translated lawlessness. That's not just an action. That's a what? That's a whole attitude, isn't it? It's a commitment. Say, I don't need God's law. Let's throw it out. But you see, the scriptures, if we take them seriously, bring us in harmony with God and his law. And so it can be with us. We can overcome if we take the scriptures seriously. We can overcome a distance from God. Now, the Sadducees did not overcome. And so what did they end up doing? Well, they ended up cheating. These were the ones who were in the temple getting money from people in illicit ways by cheating the people. And they're cheating the people, but who else were they cheating? Themselves. They were also cheating themselves. And so the Sadducees were in a bad way. And they came to Jesus. Why did they ask this question? Did they really want to know something? They were trying to present him with an unsolvable problem. To make him look what? To make him look stupid and foolish. Uh, In this uh, election season, there was one man running for president who made plain that he was a Christian. And uh, I saw on the internet where some of his accusers were saying, can we really have a man in the White House who believes that there's a devil? I mean, how can you look around the world and believe there is no devil? (laughs) The way things are going, the way we hear the news every day. But anyway, so this is is up-to-date stuff here that we're talking about. And so so they asked him this puzzling question about this man. Well, actually, the, the woman and the seven brothers. Look at verse 19. It says, Teacher. They're saying to Jesus, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother shall take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, this sounds really weird to us, doesn't it? I mean, well, we don't even want to imagine it. (laughs) You know, if 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 one man dies and then the wife gets turned over to the brother to produce children. That's very weird. But he's actually quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, which was given by God through Moses to the people at the end of their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And now it's time to go into the promised land. 
And when he went into the promised land, one of the big things that happened was the dividing up of the land into parcels of land, each parcel going to what? To a, well, to a tribe, but within that parcel there were lots that were plots of land that were given to families, right? And the families were supposed to keep their plot of land down through the generations. This was their guarantee of livelihood because it was an agrarian society. Everybody was farming the land and you couldn't farm the land if you didn't have any land. And so the land was huge. And so if a family had only had had no son, then the land couldn't be passed on to anybody and it would go to a cousin or whatever and the the family would lose the inherited land. And so this through this process if there were brothers involved, the brother wouldn't get the land he would have to produce a child who would receive the land. Does that make sense? So what God was trying to do was to keep a family from losing everything. And so he, he had this system. And uh, it was a system of mercy. Now verse 23, after we go through all these seven brothers, verse 23 says, Therefore in the resurrection... Now, did they believe in the resurrection? They didn't believe in the resurrection. This wasn't an honest question. So they say, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had the wife. This is not a solvable problem, is it? You, we can't solve this problem. She's, she's had all these husbands. And we know today people who, uh, they're widowed, and they marry a second husband after the first husband died, and then may be that person's wife for 20 years before they die. And we, we start to think, well, then, in heaven, whose wife is she going to be? The one she was married to for 30 years or the one she was married to for 20 years? Well, we don't have an answer. Well, how did Jesus answer? Did Jesus have an answer? Ooh, let's see what he said about this. Verse 24 Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? Now, did these people study the Bible? Yes, they did. Even though they didn't believe that it was literally true, they still studied it. They knew quite a bit about the Bible. But he says, You do not know the Bible nor the power of God. Well, we're going to have to see where the power of God comes in. Verse 25, For when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, Jesus didn't really try to solve this problem. He didn't say whether it was going to be husband number one or two or whatever. He didn't say that. He said they would be like the angels. In a way, he was saying, because you don't know the scriptures, you're really asking the wrong question. You shouldn't even be asking this question. That's what he's really saying. Why shouldn't they be asking questions? Well, they didn't believe in angels, first of all. So they shouldn't be asking a question about, about the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But let's take the words of Jesus and think about them in a, for a minute in a way maybe you haven't thought of before. 
Because sometimes we jump to things, jump to conclusions, without thinking about the different angles involved. All right, he said, when we're resurrected, we'll become like whom? The angels. Well, what are the angels like? Well, we, we know a few things about them. It doesn't say a whole lot about them, their sexuality, does it? It doesn't say a lot about that. And, and, but it does say something about them. The angels in heaven, in Revelation it tells us something went on in heaven with the angels. What was that? There was a war. There was a war. Why was there a war? There was a rebellion. Who led the rebellion? Satan, who was one of the angels. He was the highest. Was he started this rebellion. And in the rebellion, what was his big emphasis? His big reason to rebel? You have to have a reason to rebel. What was his reason to rebel? Okay, so he's saying God wasn't what he claimed to be. God claimed to give freedom and choice. No, he doesn't. He makes all the angels serve him. God wasn't liberal and generous. He was taking everything for himself. God wasn't unselfish. He was selfish. Sitting on the throne, making everybody bow down. How do you call that? Unselfish. And so Satan made this big uh, accusation against God. And how many of the angels bought into his description of God? The Bible says one-third of the angels bought into this a whole idea of better freedom and better leadership with Satan than with God. And how many stayed with God? Two-thirds. And they stayed with God because? They, well, they chose to. They chose to what? They chose to believe what? That God was who he claimed to be. Unselfish, loving, Faithful, good, so on and so on. So it was based on what they chose to believe about God. And because they believed that God was good in every way, they chose to trust him more than to trust Satan, right? They chose to trust God. So if, a, if an angel had a problem, where would the angel go? To God. That's right. Now, when Adam had a problem, because Eve came, she ate the fruit, and that was a problem, who did he go to? Did he go to God? No, he went to himself. I'll have a solution here. I'll join her. That was his solution. Was that a good solution? Not a good solution. But the, th the, the key thing was that he didn't trust God enough to go to him. Now, would the angels, the angels wouldn't do that. The angels trusted God. Now, we are Adam's children, so what do we do? We do like Adam, right? We trust ourselves. By nature, we trust ourselves more than we trust God. And he's trying to win our trust by revealing himself, especially through Jesus, but other things that he does in our lives and so on and through the messages of the Bible. And so we tend to do the same. We tend to distrust God, which is unbelief, which is sin. 
That's what sin really is all about. We try to solve our problems ourselves. Even using marriage to save to solve some of our problems. Now, did you get that? Have you ever heard of somebody trying to solve their problems by getting married? Oh, yes. I won't ask you to raise your hands. Does marriage solve problems? Now, Jesus, he knew the Scriptures. And he knew the scriptures as God intended them to be known. Now, how was that? Well, look at, well, in fact, let me read verse 24 in the Amplified Bible. This is still in Mark chapter 12, verse 24. It says, Jesus said to them, Is not this where you wander out of the way? What's the way? The way toward God. You're wandering out of the way toward God and you're going wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. But they studied it. But they studied it the wrong way. They didn't know the Scriptures the way God intended people to know the Scriptures. Hold your place here and turn over to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I hope this is already a familiar verse to you uh, or passage to you. Uh, because it's very important. It's, it's a key thing in the life of the Christian who wants to really be a, a, a true-hearted Christian connected to Christ. So we're here in John chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 39 and 40. Yes, it says, You search the Scriptures. Yeah, they were searching the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And that's Still true, many people today are looking for eternal life by studying the Bible. And these are they which testify of, of me. But, now look at verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is saying the whole purpose of the scriptures is so that you can get to know Jesus and the Father, right? That's the whole purpose of the scriptures. To get to know God. And if we then, getting to know God and seeing how good He is, that we can trust Him, then we come to Him with our problem of needing salvation. And what does He do? He provides all, everything that's needed for salvation, right? See, that's what it's intended to do. To draw us to Him. Not just to give us a checklist of all the things we need to do. Not just a guide map of how we need to go a certain way. But it's a book about how good God is so we are drawn close to Him. To trust Him and to put our case in His hands for Him to take care of us. So think about Jesus. Jesus came to the Father for the solving of all of His problems. Is that right? That's right. What about His problem of how to reach the people? Did He go to the Father for that? That's one of the things he was praying about the 40 days in the wilderness. How do I reach these people? And what about when he went early up in the morning and went up into the mountain to be alone to pray? What was he praying about? How can I reach these people? Who are you going to lead me to today? What should I have to say to them? How can I draw their hearts? He went to the Father with that. What about when to reveal himself? In our long study here of the book of 
Mark, have we found that there were times when Jesus didn't want to reveal himself? Yes. And were there times when he did want to reveal himself? As, as Savior and King? Yes. But he had to ask the Father, when will I do that? He depended upon the Father to show him. How about when he went to Gethsemane? Do you think he had to rely on the Father to help for help there? And on Calvary also? Certainly. Everything. In everything, Jesus trusted the Father enough to go to him. And even on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now, we who are following Christ and who are listening to the scriptures and who see that the scriptures draw us closer to God, then we are being made like Christ by the renewing of our minds. By beholding the Lord as he really is, we become changed into the same likeness. Now in the new earth, oh, I, I'm, I skipped something. And so as we're changed in his likeness, his likeness is to go to the Father for all of our problems. And so in our belief now, we learn to trust him and to ask for his help for those solutions that we need. Now in the new earth, we will trust God as much as the unfallen angel. Right, did you catch that? In the resurrection, we will trust God as much as the unfallen angel. Think about that a moment. Hebrews 8, verse 11. Just listen to this. It says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. So in the resurrection, in, the, in the God's eternal kingdom, we will, how many know God? All of us. And we will all, we'll all be in harmony with him. It's that kind of knowing. And then we'll all be certain that all that he does is good, just like those unfallen angels. Certain that everything God does is good. And so we'll trust him completely. And Jesus set the example of trusting God completely. Now, you have problems, do you? Sure, all of us have problems. All of us have weaknesses. All of us have needs. And what do we do with them? Well, what does our song say at the end of our prayer time? I cast all my cares upon you. Did Jesus invite us to cast all our cares upon him? Yes. Because he cares for us. Has the Lord cared for his unfallen angels? Has he protected them? Has he provided for them? Yes. And he who cares for the angels will care for you and your needs and your problems. And you can be just as certain of God's care and eternal life as they are. Now think about that for a moment. You can uh, do you think the unfallen angels are certain of spending eternity with God? They are. Absolutely. Can we be just as certain as they? The Bible says, He who has the Son has life. That's 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. A wonderful verse to memorize. 
Now, do the angels have, have the Son? They have Jesus? Jesus as what? As their king. As their what? Lord. As their leader, right? As their protector. As their provider. As their friend, right? They have Jesus. So do they have eternal life? They have eternal life. And we who have the Son, now we have to renew that every day, right? Have the Son. It's not had the Son. It's have the Son. Have eternal life. And then there's another verse in John 17, 3. I hope you've memorized that one. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So knowing the only true God is eternal life. Do the angels know, I mean really know, the only true God? And so do they have eternal life? And the same is for us. Do you have him? Do you know him? And if you do, you can be just as certain as the angels of heaven. You see, in the resurrection, we will be like the angels. Now, let's go on in Jesus' description. In verse 26 and 27, there's just a little bit more. It says, but concerning the dead, that they rise. And I'm back in Mark chapter 12, uh, in verse 26. Uh, Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God, I'm sorry, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. But in, he means greatly mistaken by not believing in the resurrection. You see, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were dead at the time that Jesus was speaking these words, but if they were dead completely, never to live again, then would God be their God? No, because they wouldn't exist. You can't be the God of something that doesn't exist. But what Jesus is saying, they are, uh, God is the God of the living because they are going to live. Now let me read how Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And I'm going to read the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 to 20. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sin. In that case, all who have died, believing in Christ, are lost. And if our hope is in Christ only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. See, Paul sets up that contrast. He wants the people to think through. If you don't think there's a resurrection, you're in big trouble. Because there can be no salvation without resurrection. Now, 
was Jesus the only one who believed in resurrection? Well, if we, in, in John chapter 11, when Lazarus was raised, uh, before he was raised, Martha said to him, I know that my brother Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So did Martha know about the resurrection? She did. Now, how did she know about that resurrection? Well, Abraham believed in the resurrection. Hebrews 11 says that when he was told to kill Isaac, it says Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Is that resurrection? So even way back in Abraham, they had the belief and the understanding that God can resurrect. And in Job, Job was back at that time too. Job said in chapter 19, he said, after my skin is destroyed. When is that? That's when you die and you're buried. Your skin is destroyed. He says, this I know that in my flesh... Not just in the spirit, like some people think of a ghostly kind of a thing, you know. But he doesn't believe in that. Job says, in my flesh I shall see God. Did he believe in resurrection? He did. And then Jesus talked about it in John chapter 5. He says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So did Jesus teach resurrection? Yes, and it was chapter 5 of John, so it was early in his ministry. So perhaps Martha heard those words from Jesus. And that added to what she knew from Job and uh, from, other, uh, from Abraham. Now, in John chapter 11, in the Amplified Bible, it says, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, although he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever continues to live and believe in me shall never actually die at all. Do you believe this? How about you? Do you believe this? What happens then to the person who believes Jesus and they, they die? It says they don't actually die at all. What does that mean? And what's happening to those people? Yes, it's, it's that, that, that old phrase that they used to put on tombstones. R-I-P. What is that? Rest in peace. So they're resting in peace. They're not dead and gone forever. They're resting in peace until the day that Jesus resurrects them. And we believe it because who was raised as the first fruits? Christ himself. Let me describe, let me read to you how Paul describes the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 51. He says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. First, the believers who died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
Then we will be with the Lord for how long? Forever, it says. Forever. And then, of course, Revelation tells us about after the resurrection. Now think about God here and about his character. It says, then I heard a loud shout. We heard a shout at the resurrection, the second coming. But there's going to be a shout at the end of the thousand years. Do you ever realize that? It says, then I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and be and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Does God believe in resurrection? Is he looking forward to resurrection? Why does he believe in resurrection? He set it in place. Why did he set it in place? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. You see, God wants you close to him. Now. And forever. Forever. He wants you fully alive. Fully and wonderfully alive. You know, he already enjoys you so much. Do you believe that? He's looking upon you, watching you every day and every night of your life, and he enjoys you. Why? How can that be? Do we disappoint him? Yes. We don't always make the best choices. We get ourselves in trouble. We make messes for other people too. But how could he enjoy us? Well, because he loves us. Are you unique? There's not another one. You are special to him. And he enjoys you. He likes looking upon you. And he enjoys thinking about all the joy that he and you could share for eternity. And he doesn't want it to end. That's the kind of God he is. Jesus rose from the dead. And he looks forward to rising us if we die before Jesus comes. Or rising us while we're still alive, if we're alive when he comes. Because he enjoys you. And he wants you. Will he have you? If so, tell him so right now. Take, your, take a moment for silent prayer. Tell him what you think of him and whether he has you.
Dear Lord Jesus, you, you are amazing. And you are powerful. And you are so loving. You've captured our hearts. You've captured our, our admiration. You have us. Keep us forever. We depend on your faithfulness, your commitment, your grace. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to our closing hymn. Number it may be at morn. Number 207. And we'll stand as we sing it together. Thank you.